0: So good to be with you guys today. I want to just uh, just remind you that you know, God has been doing something around this place, around Journey Church for, for almost 15 years now, and we're going to be celebrating that here in a couple weeks. I want to just remind you of that, that God is doing some amazing things, and we're going to celebrate that. But right now, we're going to continue in our series called Famous Last Words, and, and uh, if you've been following along, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and we made it getting close to the end here, and we've made it to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read and look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 8 today, but I'm going to start at verse 7, and then we'll come back and we'll catch it all up, but verse 7 is a very famous scripture that many of you may have heard before, uh, or some form of it, and Paul is talking to Timothy, again, here at the end, and he says, "'I have fought the good fight.'" I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. And and Paul is, we know, you know, we looked at this earlier, but he's in, a, in the Mamertine prison, which we looked and we saw some video footage of the actual prison that he was most likely in. And it's like a dungeon-like prison, very small, but we have this sense of what he was going through close to the end that he'd been on trial and and we can assume some things it's probably about AD 67 or 68 and we can assume by the way that he talked that that he'd probably had a trial he, his execution date had been set most likely by the way he's talking here and he knows it's coming And he's probably reflecting back on a lot of his life. And if you read the stories and you look in the book of Acts and you see all of the letters that he wrote, he saw some amazing things happen. He went on three different missionary journeys. He saw miracle after miracle. He saw God deliver them time and time again. He experienced persecution. What's interesting about Paul is that if you know the story, he used to be named Saul before he encountered Jesus. And he was a persecutor of Christians. And he would actually oversee the killing of Christians until he met Jesus. Like audibly, Jesus spoke to him face to face. He meets Jesus, totally changes his life and changes his name and changes the course of his life. And now now he has gone from the persecutor to the persecuted. But he says this statement here at the end. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And so what I want to talk about today is really what the scriptures talk about, and it's really how do we finish well? How can we finish well? Because how many of you guys love a good story that ends like this, and they lived happily ever after, right? And we always love to get to that point where they, you just want to know that that they had some sort of happy ending. But I think when it comes to following Jesus, the story at least that I want to be written about me is that it's not necessarily that he lived happily ever after, but and he lived faithfully to the end. And he lived faithfully to the end. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I've lived faithfully to the end. And and how many of you guys remember, I think it was a bumper sticker in the 80s or something that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. How many of you guys remember that? And we know that that's like not, that we, we know down deep that that's not really why you live, and that's really not the end goal, and yet, how many times do we find ourselves chasing just that? We find ourselves chasing after that. And we know that, you know, no hearse is going to be pulling a U-Haul, taking all the stuff with them, right? But, but there's something about us that still wrestles with, what does it mean to end well? What does it mean to finish well? And I know that a lot of us, we're all at different stages in life. We're all at different stages of, of, of life situations, of ages, but there's gonna come a day when you need to, to know this. You, you need to come to this point where you have settled this on how am I going to end well? And really it starts now, wherever you're at. It starts at this moment right now, this decision to learn how to finish well. I, I heard this study a long time ago and it was the longest study really ever, but it was the, the study on happiness, and they studied many people over decades, and it's called the happiness study now. But they, they were basically trying to figure out what does it take or what, what does it take to keep people happy over decades. And they you know, figured out that it wasn't stuff, it wasn't money, it wasn't social status, it wasn't all this stuff. But in the end, it was actually relationships that people had that, that sustained that happy life. And that's one thing, to have something. But what we're talking about here today is not what do you need to have but really, what do you need to do? And I heard a sermon a long time ago, and it stuck with me, this line that was repeated over and over again. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish that counts. And I don't know where you're at right now. You may be looking at your life situation right now, and you're like, well, I, it's kind of a mess right now. Or you may be looking at your life right now, and you're saying, I, I started pretty late You know, you may be looking at your life and saying, I don't know how it's all gonna come together. The truth is, it's not how you start. It's not where you are right now that matters. It's where you finish. And every single person in here can make a decision to finish well. But what does it look like to finish well? And we're gonna mine some things out of these eight scriptures that I believe would help us to be able to finish well if we step into it, and these are Paul's instructions to Timothy. So no matter where you're at, no matter what timeline you're on, you can finish well. And let's look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse one. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. We'll look at this scripture a little bit later. He's telling Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when you feel like it, and when you don't feel like it. When times are favorable and when times are unfavorable. It means when, when things are going well and when things are not going well. When you have the time and when you don't think you have the time. He's, he's basically saying in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, exhort and complete with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Does that sound like today sometimes, right? We could just say the people have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves their own books and their own podcasts and their own whatever to try to build a theology or to build a life that they want to have. That's basically what Paul is saying is happening because he was dealing with some false teachers in his day. It says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we talked about some of this in previous weekends so I'm not going to go back and hit the idea of truth versus, you know, controversy and myths and all that you can go back and check out some of the other messages. But he says this, he says as for you, always be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So Paul is how many of you guys would like to have a book of the Bible like specifically written to you? I mean, it has Timothy's name on it, right? <laughs> And, and we all benefit from it, and it is to us. But I want you to understand he's actually writing some specific things to Timothy in this moment. And I believe this is one of these specific things to Timothy that then we can take the principle of what he's saying and apply it to our life. But what he's actually saying to Timothy is to fulfill your ministry. And he details out some of the things that as pastor, Timothy would need to do. And as a pastor, Timothy needs to preach the word. As a pastor, Timothy needs to to confront, to rebuke, to exhort. He needs to teach right doctrine. He needs to do these things. And so he's speaking specifically to Timothy's ministry. But if you want to finish well, point number one is this. I'm gonna give you three things. Point number one is you need to fulfill your ministry. And your ministry may not be the same as Timothy's. It may not look exactly the same. It's most likely it won't look the same, but you have a ministry to fulfill. Now, the average person here in the Northland or wherever you live in Kansas City area, I believe, is trying to just live a decent life. A lot of people I've met trying to live a decent life, trying to provide for their families, trying to, you know, do better than the generation before them, trying to work hard, make money, save money, you know, you know move up in some way, improve their life in some way so that maybe if we saved up enough money, if we made enough money, we could retire and then we'd be able to finally relax. How many of you guys would like that, right? To be able to not have to, to you know, do the job, not have to, and so we, we we're trying to save up this money to retire and that seems to be the goal of most people is, you know, that's on a horizon. That's, that's something we're looking towards. That's something we're building towards, And in fact, how many of you guys would like to retire early? Anybody like to, like if you could somehow make that happen, like I would retire early, right? And that seems to be like this sign of success. Like if you could somehow retire early, then you've not only made it, but you made it before other people. (laughs) You you won, okay? That's kind of how it happens. And that seems to be the goal of most people is that we maybe be able to travel or sit on the beach and look at the sunset, right, and just kind of... Enjoy our days. Let, let me just blow that up for just a minute because I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I really don't believe that's what you want to have happen. And, and I'll just prove it to you because if you think that if I had the resources to retire, to, do, to just sit on the beach or to go just sit in a mountain cabin somewhere, that that's my goal and that's, that would fulfill me let me just blow that up for a minute, and I'm gonna give it to you in one name, Elon Musk. As of Friday, he was worth $230 billion. Richest man in the world, and guess what? He could buy anything he wants. He could live anywhere he wants. He could do anything he wants. He could sit on the beach as long as he wants. He could have any lifestyle he wants, but the dude is still working. Why? If the goal for humanity is that somehow we could reach this point where we wouldn't have to work, where we could get to this point where we could buy whatever we wanted, then we would be satisfied. If we could get to this point where we could just travel the world and not have any responsibilities, if that were the goal that was really fulfilling then why does, Mo, does Mo, I mean, if you look at the list of the richest people in the world, you'll go down it and you'll find that most of the richest people in the world continue to work. Why does that make sense? He has the lifestyle. He has everything he could want. He doesn't, he, he, he can't even spend all his money. It's going to take generations to spend that money, Right? Why, if the goal, and see, here's what I wanna blow up on the inside of us. There's something on the inside of us that still believes that that's our goal, that that would fulfill us, and yet we see people who have that opportunity and don't take it. Why? Because lifestyle doesn't fulfill. Stuff doesn't fulfill. Toys don't fulfill. Sitting on the beach doesn't fulfill. Sitting in the mountain cabin doesn't fulfill. You know what fulfills? Calling, mission, purpose. Purpose. And so Paul is saying something here that if you want to finish well, you need to understand first and foremost that it's gonna be in the fulfillment of your mission that you will be able to one day sit back and say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith, I feel like I have fulfilled my mission. And so I wanna blow, some of us need to really take that idol out of our heart because it's an idol in our heart that we've been looking to, that we've been feeding that we we need to somehow reckon with. And listen, there's nothing wrong with rest and there's nothing wrong with travel. You you will enjoy that. You will enjoy all of that. That's that's not to say that that's not part of it, but what I'm saying is that if that is your ultimate goal, almost everybody that I know that is retired finds something to do. (laughs) Because we weren't designed just to sit. We were designed to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, I talked about that last week. And so, Calling is what fulfill, and you were designed so that at the end of your life that there was nothing left on the field, that you put it all out there. So let me just be your Paul for just a moment, encourage you, fulfill your mission. Whatever that is, rearrange the priorities, rearrange whatever you've got to rearrange to understand that it's the fulfillment of your mission. And listen, I don't care where you're at, if you're not dead, you're not done, You still have something in the tank. God has a mission for you. Fulfill your mission. So I'm gonna give you three quick thoughts within this point of things I believe that are important to fulfill our mission. And the first one is this. You have to understand that you've gotta run your race. Paul uses all this language about race and he talks about a crown and a prize and running the race and doing all that. But you have a particular race to run. Now, to help illustrate this, I'm gonna share a very important moment in my life and something I'm very, very proud of. So to do that, you gotta take a look on video. So years ago, I set this world record and I was out running one day and I I decided that I was going to start at a very specific spot, a certain crack in the road and i decided that i was going to run through town i made a unique path uh turned around a certain spot and uh, then ended up right back at that crack in the road and uh, ran that race and and tried to beat it the next day, couldn't beat it the next day, couldn't beat it for a few days. And finally, uh, one day I I broke through and I beat it. And so I set a world record for that race. How do I know it's a world record? Well, I'm pretty sure that no one else has ever ran that specific route that I created in the specific time. No one's faster to me than I know about. And so I hold the world record. I'm a world record holder uh, there. Why? Because it was a unique race. And I'm at that very spot here where I I started to run that. And it just reminds me of when we go to fulfill our mission, fulfill our purpose and fulfill our calling, we have to understand that God has given us a unique race to run and we can't look around at everyone else I was listening to a podcast this week and this guy was talking about how to stay rooted in a place and how to uh, actually uh, you know stay rooted in a place rooted in a city rooted in relationships rooted in a church and if you're gonna stay rooted you have to understand that every place every church every relationship can't be everything you you can't have everything that you always want in a in a church or in a relationship that there are limitations there are things that you're not going to have there are things you're gonna say no to by saying yes to it so like in a marriage like my my wife she said yes to me she said yes to a lot a good thing Uh, but she also said no to marrying a professional football player because I'm not a professional football player Uh, and, and by saying no By saying yes, she said no to some things, but she also said yes to a lot of things. And so, um, in our purpose, it's the same thing. God has given us a unique race to run, and if we are always looking around at everyone else's race, and, and worried about why we don't have what they have, then we're never going to fulfill the purposes that God has for us. And so, here it is, the actual spot, right there where I started the race. Run your race. World record holder, thank you. Thank you guys, appreciate that. I know, it's a monumental accomplishment. Just going back there is hearing up. It was, it was emotional. Um, <laughs> you have a race to run. It is something God lays out for you. And if you can't get rooted in the race that God has called you to run, what happens is you will be bouncing all over the place trying to run somebody else's race. You'll be looking at people who've gone before you and think you need to mimic them. You'll be looking at people that have a different lane than you and thinking, well, I wish I could run in their lane. But you have a unique race to run to fulfill your purpose. The second thing about your purpose and your calling and your mission is this. I learned this a long time ago. Your calling will hunt you down and make you miserable until you either do it or cut it off. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You've been trying to run from it. You've been trying to avoid it. And yet it seems like it's still there. It's still pursuing you. And, and it will, I'm telling you, it will still pursue you until the day you give into it or until the day you decide to ignore it Forever. You know, before we started this church, uh, I had left being a youth pastor, and I was in a season for a couple of years where I was, you know, building a business and doing all these different things. And, and life was good in a lot of ways, but I have to tell you, the calling of God was hunting me down everywhere. It kept hunting me down until I got to that point that I talk about, and you'll you see in that video that we have on our website that I was walking around in a field one day and I was praying again, as I often did, and God said, "Uh, Sean, something's going to change, and I didn't know the specifics of the something, but I knew what the something meant. I knew that what he was saying is that you, you, you have a decision to make. Are you going to pursue the call of God on your life, or are you going to ignore it? Are you going to talk yourself out of it again, or are you going to step into it? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, that you 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 try to ignore it, you try to twist it, you try to change it, you try to re- reroute around it, but I'm telling you, your calling will continue to hunt you down and chase you down. And listen, my prayer for you today, and I prayed for the people last night, and I'll pray it again. My prayer is that the calling that God has for you will hunt you down and make you miserable, and continue to, if I can dare say, haunt you in some way, <laughs> because it's that important. And I'm just telling you, it will. It will continue to do that until you say yes or until you decide to cut it off. And the third thing is much like it, and it's this, that the gifts and callings that God has on your life, the purposes, you, you exercise them, you use them, or you lose them. You, you, Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok preached this message not too long ago, and he, he was talking specifically about these things, You know, our calling and stuff, that, that at some point, God will just decide that he needs to get the job done. And you're either gonna say yes or no, but he's gonna get the job done and he'll move on to find somebody who will say yes. I, I love this story, it's not in my notes, but I love this story uh, that I've told you guys before about, you know, we talk about Saul who became Paul, but Saul is on the road to Damascus, has his encounter with Jesus. I mean, his eyes are blinded. And then God speaks to this man named Ananias. And he says, hey, Ananias, that, that man named Saul... He's he's come to me, and and I want you to go and and pray with him and to to minister to him. And Ananias is like, wait a minute, you mean Saul, the killer of Christians? And God's like, yeah, I've already told Saul that a man named Ananias is coming. How do you guys know? That kind of puts you on the hook, right? (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. So here's what God does. God tells Saul beforehand, before he tells Ananias, he tells Saul, hey, a man named Ananias is coming. Then he goes over and he tells Ananias, um, go to Saul, I've already told him a guy named Ananias is coming. And I just wonder how many Ananiases, or I don't know what the plural of Ananias, Anani- I don't know what it is. How many Ananias guys did God have to get through because he needed a guy named Ananias? He had already told Saul, Ananias, I, I don't know how many Ananiases he had to get through before one of them finally said yes. And I just wonder how many times does God go before us and he, pl- he sets something up and then he comes to us and he said, oh, by the way, I've already got this set up. Would you go and do this? And then we say no and he has to go and he finds somebody else with our name. <laughs> See, you use it or you lose it, God continues to move on and I, I've seen that happen so many times. Fulfill your mission. At, at 28 years old, I was started this church. God told me to start the church at 28 years old, and I, I knew then and I've wondered now as well, why? <laughs> why at 28? Because even then, as much as I thought I knew, I knew that I didn't know that much. And I knew there were things that I didn't know. Is anybody following me? Because I don't even know right now <laughs> what I knew or what I know. And but I knew that there was going to be some issues and there was going to be some pain that I was going to cause people just because there were things I didn't know. And I was going to cause problems and I was going to cause pain in people. And I've asked God, I was like, why would you, why would you do that and have me start this at 28 knowing the pain that I would cause people on the path to my purpose? And, and I've kind of reconciled that and I believe I've heard from God on that, that God is willing to take the hit on the front side of whatever pain happens because of the fruit that happens later on. And that's not just true in my life, that's true in your life. God is willing to take the hit of the pain that will happen on the front side because of the fruit and the harvest that will come on the other side. And so some of us never step in because we're afraid that we don't know. We're afraid of messing something up. Listen, God is way bigger God, God can redeem any mistake that you make in pursuit of his will. God can redeem any mistake that you make in pursuit of following after your purpose and your calling. Sometimes you just got to start going and God will lead you because God guides as we move. All right, let's keep going because that's just point 1. All right, 2nd Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and he goes on and he says, "For I have already been I'm already being poured out as a drink offering." Now This has to do with some things in the Old Testament. He's referencing some of the offerings in the Old Testament. Don't have time to to get in all that. But the point is, he's using this as an example of his life being poured out as an offering. He says, my life is already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. If you want to finish well, not only do you need to fulfill your mission, but I believe that what Paul is demonstrating here is this point. Point number two, that you need to pour your life out for other people. Pour yourself out for others. I was listening to a message from Tim Keller in 2013, and he uh, talked about this quote from Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said this he said, Due to our original sin, our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it fails to realize that in this wicked, twisted, and crooked way, it seeks all things, including God, for itself. So, in other words, because of this curved inness on ourselves, our Our nature, in the natural, in the flesh, in our sin can, it it tries to use anything and everything, even God for itself. And he went on to say that really there's, there's two different operating systems that whenever we interact with anybody, whenever we have a meeting with somebody, whenever we uh, come into a relationship with somebody, whenever we, um, every day, every hour of our life, we're having to choose between these two, or we can choose between these two operating systems. The first one is this, your life and your resources to serve me. Or you can operate from the other operating system, which is my life, my resources to serve you. The first one is really the the nature of the flesh. It's this idea that that without God, we're going to, our natural default is going to be that whatever relationship we get into, it's going to be your life, your resources to serve me in some way. But the second operating system is really what life in the spirit of God is like, life in the kingdom of God is like, is that when you walk into any situation, it's not your life for mine, it's my life for yours. My resources to serve you. I'm gonna pour myself out to serve you. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of a life that's lived well, that when you get to the end of your life, that you have found out that you've poured out your life for other people, like a drink offering. See, the problem is, whenever you have that operating system of, of your life for mine, it becomes a harder heart that you have towards other people you begin to use other people. It becomes harder for you to have empathy for other people. You start to get into self-pity, selfish thoughts. And every time you continue on that operating system, every decision that you make, it continues to accumulate to where it's harder for you to have empathy towards other people. It's harder for you to step out of that apart from the Spirit of God. So Paul says if you want to live well, Pour yourself out for others. You see, you contrast that idea of your life to serve me with the apostles. You know how the apostles died at the end of their life? They were willing to give everything. They were willing to give everything. Peter, he was crucified upside down. Andrew was also crucified. He was said to have preached to his tormentors for the next two days as he died. My life for yours. Thomas he was a missionary to India. He was said to have, been, uh, he was said to have died by spear, being speared to death. Now remember, Thomas was the one that many people called the doubting disciple, right? Why? Because after Jesus rose from the dead, everyone said, hey, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. And, and Thomas said, I'm not gonna believe unless I can put my finger in the hands, into the nail, you know, where the nails were, and my hand into the side where the spear pierced Jesus' side. And you think about how at the end, it was Thomas who was actually speared to death. He was willing to be speared to death. What a change. My life for yours. Matthew was killed by the sword. James uh, was ultimately clubbed to death and there's kind of varying stories about how he died. One story is that he was actually thrown off a 100-foot cliff and survived and they went down and they finished him off. All for his faith. John, they tried to boil John. And and somehow he survived. So they, they exiled him to the island of Patmos where he wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And Paul, we know, was ultimately beheaded. This is one of the biggest evidences to me that the resurrection actually happened, that the stories that they wrote in here are true, Because they weren't willing to, I mean, it's one thing just to perpetuate some lie, you know, for some reason, whatever motivation you might have. But every single one of them to go to their death, in horrific death, documented, because they really believed what they saw, they really believed what they wrote, they were willing to go to the end. They were willing to die, and they did. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If you want to live well, to finish well, it will involve, at the end of your life, you'll look back and you'll say, I poured my life out for others. And wherever you're at, it's not how you start, it's how you finish the counts. Wherever you're at, you can do that starting today. All right, let's continue. The last thing, is number three, if you want to finish well, This one may sound weird, but I believe it's true. We have to live from the future. So to get you guys just in the mood for this, let me just show you a quick clip. Let's let's just get in the mood.
1: About Listen, Doc, quiet. Doc, don't Doc tell to me anything! Guy. Quiet, quiet! I'm gonna read your thoughts. Let's see now, you come here from a great distance? Yeah, exactly! Uh, don't tell me! Uh, you want me to buy a subscription to the Saturday Evening Post? No! Not a word, not a word, not a word now! Quiet. Uh, donations. You want me to make a donation? to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary. Doc, I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. My God. Do you know what this means? It means that this thing doesn't work at all. Doc, you gotta help me. You are the only one who knows how your time machine works. Time machine. I haven't invented any time machine. Okay, all right, I'll prove it to you. Look at my driver's license. Expires 1987. Look at my birthday, for crying out loud. I I haven't even been born yet. And look at this picture. My brother, my sister, and me. Look at her sweatshirt, Doc. Class of 1984. Pretty mediocre photographic fakery. They cut off your mother's hair. I'm telling the truth, Doc. you got to believe me. Then tell me, future boy. Who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? Then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. I suppose Jane Wyman is a first lady! Well, wait, Doc! And Jack Benny, the secretary of the treasury! Oh. Doc, you gotta listen to me! i got enough practical jokes for one evening. Good night, future boy! No, wait, Doc! Doc, the, the, the bruise! The bruise in your head! I know how that happened. You told me the whole story. You were standing on your toilet, and you were hanging a clock, and you fell, and you hit your head on the sink. And that's when he came up with the idea for the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible.
0: How many of you guys, like, have you actually thought about this? If time travel were possible and there was a time machine and you could go to the future or the past, would you step into it and anybody, like, you would actually do it? Okay, just a handful of people, okay. Um, You would probably screw up all of humanity, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we have to live from the future. Let me give you some fun uh, predictions that they had in 1923, according to an article uh, of what they thought in 1923 that the future might look like. Uh, the first thing I, I found was that they thought that the future human will be a cyclops with just one eye. That I don't know how they thought that was gonna happen, but uh, that uh, every medical malady would be treatable with a miracle pill. Sounds like they were right on that one at, so far from all the commercials that you can see. Um, they thought that there would be these frogmen that would live in undersea bunkers and tend to kelp farms. I know, I don't know either. So they, they believe that spouses will be able to be secretly controlled or secretly control one another's moods with grouch pills. <laughs> if one spouse is in a particularly cantankerous mood, his or her partner will be able to pop down to the corner drugstore, buy some anti-grouch pills and slip them into their coffee. One way to have a marriage, I guess, it's, and that they predicted that tomatoes would be square because square tomatoes, after all, could be more easily packaged and transported and would fit better in sandwiches, and so I haven't seen them yet, but it still does sound like a good idea. Now, there was one prediction, though, by Nikola Tesla, who, uh, it sounded crazy in 1926, but Uh, He had this vision of an instrument that when wireless, he says, is perfectly applied to the whole earth in a way that allows humans to communicate to one another instantly, irrespective of distance, 1926, by the way, with the clarity of a face-to-face meeting using a device that will fit in our vest pockets. How many of you guys have one of those? That's pretty crazy, right? Right? All right, so live from the future. What, what does that mean? Well, we just saw that clip of you know, somebody coming from the future. What would it be like if somebody came from the future and tried to tell us things about the future? So let's look at this. We're gonna look at verse one of chapter four, verse one. And then we're gonna also look at verse eight. And there's, there's something that ties both of these together and then everything else that we looked at is sandwiched in between. But let's look at what ties all this together. 2 Timothy chapter four, verse one, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. So he talks about the appearing of Christ. All right, let's look at Verse eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, here it is, the judge in the first one, the judge in the second one, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved, what is it? His appearing. So Paul is talking about having his eyes fixed on the appearing of Christ. Now, we could talk about the first coming or the first appearing of Jesus, but he's also talking about the second coming because how many of you guys know that the scripture tells us that Jesus is going to return. That that you know to most people that may sound crazy but that's actually what's going to happen that he he came once and he's coming back. And Paul had his eyes even at this moment where he knew he was coming to the end, he still had his eyes on eternity. He has his eyes fixed on the return of Christ. He had his eyes fixed on the future. And it was affecting his present. Now, as a pastor, I get a lot of interesting questions. And one of the questions that I've gotten over and over again is this question. Is cremation a sin? And let me just start by just saying why Christians, as a general rule, Christians, most Christians, bury their dead. The reason why Christians bury their dead is because we believe, not just in a grave, but we believe in a resurrection. We believe that, you know, the, the scripture says that, that uh, Jesus was the firstborn of the resurrection, that he was the first resurrected, so that all of us will one day, we will be resurrected. That he will resurrect not just, not just our spirit, but actually our body. We will have a glorified body. And there's a mystery in there. We don't understand how it's all going to come together, how it's all going to happen. But there was something about believers that were, it was like putting a seed in the ground. It was like a faith act of putting the body into the ground. So the question is, is cremation a sin? No, cremation is not a sin. Because God is gonna have to take all the particles and somehow bring them all back together anyway. I mean, think about the martyrs that were burned at the stake. I mean, it's the same situation, But the point is that many Christians throughout the ages have chosen to do that as a sign of their faith, as a signpost towards the future, as a sign of pointing towards the future, that their their natural choices were being impacted by eternal ideas. That they were looking towards the future, looking towards the appearing of Christ, looking towards the resurrection, and doing something in the here and now, that wouldn't be affected in the here and now, but it was all because of the future as a sign of faith. It was a signpost for the future. See, what faith does is it pulls the future into the now and begins to live the future now. So we begin to see what God is going to do, what God has promised to do, and we begin to act that out irregardless of our current circumstances. That's faith. We begin to live the future now. Our lives are supposed to be a signpost or a sign for the future that when somebody sees your life, they're not just seeing your present life, they're seeing the life that is to come. Somehow, by faith, we live that out. We are to be, what I'm saying is, we are to be prophetic pictures of the coming kingdom of God. So what Paul's talking about when he talks about, I'm looking towards his appearing, he's he's living that future now. He's becoming a prophetic picture in the here and now of what one day life will fully be in God's fullness. That's how we live the life of faith. To live prophetically means we live the future now. It's like this, almost like this reverse engineered life where we look at what life will be in the fullness of the kingdom and we reverse engineer it back to our present day and we begin to live it out in the here and now. That takes faith to do. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 it says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, Isaiah was looking forward to the, ultimately to the first coming, and to the second coming. But now we're looking back to the, his first coming, and we're looking forward to his second coming. We live in this simultaneous uh, place of the kingdom has come and the kingdom will come. The kingdom has arrived and there is a degree to which we can experience that in the here and now, but there's also some level of the kingdom that will come in, in a new way. And so we live in the now and the not yet. So we're living the future now by faith. I've been watching this documentary on the Chicago World's Fair In 1893, they had this Chicago World's Fair where everyone, like all these nations, all these people, all these states came together and they brought their best to this fair. They built these huge buildings. They built this whole city, crazy uh, amount of things. They rearranged everything. People would come in, other nations, and build whatever they had that was their latest and greatest. They They would place there so that people could come and they could see what the future would be like. And so they came and people, I mean, an enormous amount of expense, 20-something million people ended up showing up throughout the thing. But on May 1st, 1893, President Grover Cleveland pushed a button because attached to this button was 100,000 lights. And, you know, Westinghouse bought Tesla's patent, we talk about Tesla, he bought Tesla's patent and had developed that and won out the bid from Edison's, uh, General Electric, uh, all of that, and they put 100,000 lights, and then one push of the button, it lit up the whole place. How many of you guys know that for people there for the first time, it had to be mind-blowing, right? And the idea that one day you'd be able to just push a button anywhere where you were at and light would come without a flame was probably hard to believe, right? But somehow... They came to this place, and what seemed impossible, now they saw a glimpse of it. Don't you think it had to be just a little bit easier to try to imagine its possibilities? They came to see the future. See, what I'm saying is that we are to be the kind of people that live the kingdom now so that when people come into interaction with us, in some way they see the future kingdom that what may have been hard for them to believe before, now they've come in contact with the kingdom of God. And it becomes just a little bit easier for us to imagine what life will be like and what Jesus is like. We are to live from the future. Our lives are to point to a future to come. People will come and and one day, they will see that all of this will come to fulfillment. We have to be the kind of people that live it now. now. let me just close up with this and I'll have the worship team come back up. Um, we're getting ready to head out on vacation here after uh, the second service here. And one of the things that I've told you about on our vacations is that years ago, we, just, we stumbled across this, uh, for the first time, we stumbled across a Krispy Kreme donut place. And it was like we had never seen anything like that before. We walk in, you see all these donuts on this tray, and they're going through, and naked donuts, just going down, the. I don't know where that thought came from, but they get poured out all this sugar on it, and and then all of a sudden, you're like, how, this is like, I've never seen anything like this before. And then we tried it, because the hot sign was on, right? And you try it, the donut, and like, before you can get the donut in your mouth, it's somehow like dissolving into your stomach. Is anyone hungry yet? Because I am. And we discovered this. And from that point on, like, we have that marked in our memory. And so from that point on, whenever we went on vacation, we're like, it's not vacation until we have Krispy Kreme. And so we would go out of our way to find a Krispy Kreme to make sure that it was officially vacation. Because that was the closest thing to heaven that we had ever had on earth. (laughs) And it got me thinking one day when I was reading this scripture, and I've shared this with you guys before, but let me just leave you with this. Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 10, Jesus is teaching people how to pray. And he says this, he says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you guys have prayed that prayer before? Many people have. But I want you to think about how crazy that prayer is. Have you ever thought about how crazy that prayer is? He's telling us to pray for his kingdom come, for his will to be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. And I don't believe he's talking about a someday. I believe what he's talking about is for us to pray actively in the here and now that we would experience some of what is happening in heaven on earth. Do you think how crazy that prayer is? (laughs) I mean, if it actually happens, that, that prayer is a pretty crazy prayer. That's, that's an insane prayer. It's, it's, like, it's like Krispy Kreme. It's like if God had this building that you could walk in, it's right over on 152, you could just go in and walk in this building and it was heaven. And you could like actually walk in and everything about heaven was happening inside that building. And it's like you could walk in on earth as it is in heaven. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? And what if God just put these little heaven franchises throughout the Northland, that you could walk in and whenever you walked into the building, it was like a franchise of heaven. That's what he's calling us to pray for. And it's not gonna be a building that it happens in, it's gonna be in you and it's gonna be in me. What God wants to do is he wants to place a little bit of heaven inside of every single person so that we can live the future now. So that every person we touch, touches part of heaven. Because the church is a foretaste of the future way. So I say it this way, you know, when I pray this prayer, I I pray God your kingdom come, your will be done in Journey Church as it is in heaven. So that when people come into Journey Church, they taste some of what heaven is like. And how many of you guys have experienced that? Like you've walked in and you're like, I feel something about this that feels like heaven. I don't know why. And I pray it this way, and I encourage you to pray it this way. On, on earth, as it is in heaven, I, I change it up and I say, In the Philip's house, as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in the Philip's house. And then I, I even take it a little more personally and I'll say, Your kingdom come, your will be done in Sean's life, as it is in heaven. And I believe we can pray that prayer. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Just shut out all distractions for a moment. We're talking about the future, and I'm going to tell you a way right now that you can know what your future is. I'm going to tell you a way to predict your future. But before I tell you how to predict your future, let me, let me lay some groundwork. Jesus came to this planet 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life, the only, only human to ever do that, only human, he was God in the flesh. Perfect, sinless life. And he came to the cross, and at the cross, perfect, sinless life, he said, I will take and bear all of the sin of the world And I will take the place of those who deserve to die. I will take their punishment of sin. Because you and I deserve to be punished for our sin. To die for our sin. Somebody had to pay the price. Jesus essentially raised his hand and said, I'll take the punishment. I will pay the price. Innocent man paid the price. Rose from the dead, became the first to rise from the dead, and he offers us eternal life. And that, that veil that separated God and humanity was torn so that Jesus said, if anyone wants to come to God, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You can come through me because I've paid the price. And he offers us this grace and this forgiveness so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can follow God. And if you want to know your future, there's a way for you to do that see, the Bible says that when, if we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that we say that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead, then you can receive the grace of God and you will be forgiven, not just now, but forever. So you can know your future, that your future is forgiven. And what a powerful, amazing thought that you could know right now what your future will be, that you can know right now what your eternity will be. What kind of peace and joy comes with knowing that kind of future? And so with heads bowed bowed and eyes closed, if if you're here today and you say, Pastor Sean, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I know that I deserve the punishment that comes with sin and that I don't have the relationship with God that I need to have and I want to start to follow Jesus. I wanna say yes. To following Jesus. I want you to understand that when you take this step, it's not the finish line. It's really the starting line. It's the starting line of a race that you will one day be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith, but you got to start. And we do that very simply by just acknowledging what God is doing on the inside of us right now and responding in some way. And I'm not going to have you come forward or anything like that at this moment. There'll be a time for that. But what I want you to do right now is just acknowledge it before God. And if you say, Pastor Sean, that's me, would you please pray for me right now and help me take that step? If that's you all over the building, would you lift up your hand right now? And I just want to know if I need to pray for you right now. Anybody at all? I might have missed somebody. Go ahead, and and if that's you, just lift up your hand. I don't mind taking time. See that hand. Anybody else? See that hand as well. Listen, if, if you, even if you didn't raise your hand, it's really a moment between you and God right now. I'm gonna help you pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about these words. It's really just finding a way to talk to God, just expressing what's happening in this moment. And I'll help you with the words, but I'm gonna have everybody pray with us. So would you all pray this with me? Out loud, let's say this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you took my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you took my place. And I receive your grace by faith. I turn from my old life and I say yes to following you. It's all yours. I surrender it all. Lord, I thank you for those who have prayed that prayer today, that I I pray that you would help them to understand that this, your word says that from this moment forward, that they are a brand new person, that the old life up to this point really is, is gone and they have brand new spiritual DNA on the inside, that they really are a brand new creation. And we bind any lie of the enemy that would try to snatch up this moment and we say that the presence of God and the peace of God and the grace of God is loosed in this moment and we thank you for that God. Lord we celebrate that would you guys stand up with me because what we're going to do right now is we're just going to worship God There's nothing more appropriate that we could do than just to worship God in a moment like this. And I want you to ask this question as we do. Jesus, what are you saying to me in this moment? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this moment? And as we worship him, it's a relationship with God that he begins to speak with us and confirm things and rearrange the pieces. Let's worship him right now.